Hey everyone, welcome to One for the Dagger podcast, Feathered Flow, and the worst show in Chicago. I am Daniel, and I got my co-host here, Tommy. What's going on? And we have the uh, Scott Foster of podcast guests today, being uh, Clay. Uh, you want to tell everybody your Twitter handle? Uh, at cbswallow underscore 52. Yeah, I probably should have looked that up prior, but I honestly totally forgot. And then we hit record, so here we are. But um, yeah, he he came. He was kind enough to come in extremely last minute to fill in uh, for Johnny, who had to go pick up his girlfriend from work. So uh, we're flying in three man formation today, and boy, do we got a lot of shit to talk about. Well, sort of. I mean, uh, the first game of the season, it was a rough one. Everybody looked fucking horrible for lack of a better word um but there was one glaring omission from the roster that i couldn't help but notice pretty much all game and for those of you who follow me on twitter uh you probably know exactly who that is and of course i'm talking about mr adam boquist um i really don't know why he's not with this team at this point i hyped him up all summer you know my my hype and validation doesn't mean shit to the blackhawks but you got to look at things objectively because Boquist brings something that the Hawks lack pretty much immediately. Um, and you won't really get it back once you have Dahan and Murphy in the lineup, whether you like it or not. Boquist is the most agile, dynamic, and fastest skater that the Hawks would have on the blue line. His vision's unparalleled. His hands are amazing. His shot is fast. He can flip the ice. He can skate himself out of trouble. He doesn't score on his own fucking net. And quite frankly, for all the bitching that I do, um, really my frustration was only compounded by the fact that the rest of the defense looks so bad. Uh, all game, it was awful. They couldn't slap their ass with either hand. It was really just kind of frustrating to watch. Even game one of the season, just because we saw these problems, you know, very, very present over the last two, two seasons uh, is what I mean by that. But um, I, I guess I just wanted to explore that a little more. Like, do you guys see Boquist coming up into the lineup um, immediately, especially if, you know, DeHaan or Murphy gets back even? Tommy, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like I mean he should have made the team from the start, right? We, we talked about that. Everyone's talked about that. Like he should he should be here already. But I think like you watched the way the game went the other day, and I think it's just even more obvious that they should call him up because, like you mentioned, they don't have somebody of his skill set on the blue line as much as they want to try and push that Gustafson is a good offensive defenseman who can move the puck and he can skate and all that. Like he can't he can't really do it at all. Boquist would fill a hole there and we wouldn't get as much Slater Cuckoo. So I, yeah, I think that's a win for everyone. Um, I, I think, I think he should be on the team right now. Yeah. And the thing is, even if you do want to kind of pedal Gustafson as your offensive defensive guy, um, we all know he can't play defense. That's a given. Um, right. But the thing is what it boils down to is really, he's just a power play specialist. And that kind of ties into the fact that you mentioned he can't skate at all. It's, not at all. No. Pretty fucking awful. He's slow. Uh, Clay, did you have any thoughts on Boquist not being up? Well, first of all, I can't agree more that Slater Cuckoo <laughs> shouldn't be on this team. I'm not convinced he should be on the AHL roster. He is... I'm so sick and tired of watching him just be an absolute train wreck in his own end. And it's not like he has any 
offensive upside to give. Um, you know, Gus, they love him on the power play, and as far as a power play quarterback, he's pretty good at it. But other than Gus, I, I don't see a better offensive defenseman on our team. I don't think – I mean, Gus isn't close to Adam Buckvist's potential, obviously. But I don't understand, and it, it – it makes me so mad because it brings back what they did with Yokoharu. They kept him in Rockford after he was probably our best defenseman for every game he played and as a 19-year-old. As, as a 19-year-old. And that kind of brings me to the next point. Um, I've, I've heard some, I've gotten some pushback about Boquist. Um, not, you know, uh, people don't see the point of why he should be brought up, mostly because there's the very, very, you know, I hate to say this for lack of better terminology, but very narrow-minded view that um, we somehow believe that he is a cure-all to this blue line, which I don't think anybody in their right mind would actually <laughs> think. Um, Boquist is not a cure-all. He's not, he's not Nick Lidstrom. He's not a defensive stalwart yet. I mean, he could be. I mean, I doubt it, but I, you never know with these fucking kids. He's 19. He could, you know, pull something out of his ass, but... You know, for now, no, he is not. He's not a cure all. He's not anything more than a dynamic puck mover on the blue line. But that's just the thing: is he is so good. He is so good at what he does with what he provides offensively. He needs to be getting NHL reps right now, not just because you know we don't have anybody on the blue line that can't do it, but. I mean, fuck, you look at this. I mean, is 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 spinning his tires down in Rockford really going to do anything? Is dunking on fucking AHL Swill going to do anything for him? And I understand that the AHL is a little bit more cut, clutch and grab, dump and chase. But at the same time, like, why would you not put your best defensive prospect that you've had in God knows how many years? God knows how many years. Yeah, I mean, you, you should be you should be playing now, and and uh, going back to like Cuckoo and all. Like, I don't want to dunk on him too hard. I don't think he's like terrible. I think he's a perfectly fine seventh or eighth. That if you need him to step in and play fifteen to twenty games a year, I think that's perfectly reasonable. At like but, fifteen minutes a night, too. Yeah, right. But to have him right now as a, as a top six option, I mean, that's just it's not good enough. And uh, but going back to uh, Boquist and, and his ability to move the puck, like another thing too is come on the power play. I mean, maybe we'd get rid of some of the stupid pushing back entries if he, you know, if he's gotten to the line of and out of the power play. Uh, that'd be something that I'd be looking forward to. They tried that with him in the preseason. I very vividly remember him <laughs> getting up to the red and blue line and basically just flinging a puck into the zone for somebody else to go get. So I don't know if they'll go do away <laughs> with the uh, pushing back entry entirely. I'm so tired but, of that. Like it's, you know, yeah, it's... it's fucking awful. And, you know, th this is a kid where, you know, if he did just kind of defy Carlton, which would be hilarious considering he'd be getting it from both ends, a 19-year-old and the 35-year-old red-ass and Duncan Keith. Um who, by the way, should not be on the power play as well, but... And was terrible. <laughs> and was horrible. Oh, my God. We'll get to him in a minute. But, no, uh, Boquist, if he comes up, I feel like he exceeds expectations almost right away. I'm not going to say he's going to, you know, blow the doors off anybody, but um, the thing is, if you're comparing him directly to a guy like Gustafson, which a lot of people do, you accept the mistakes that Boquist brings because he's 19. 
Eric Gustafson is 27 or 28 years old and he can't defend. The only utilization he has on this team is to make make sure that pucks get to the net, which is a good thing, on the power play with Patrick Kane. Right, and that power play still goes through Kane. Like that, that exactly. all goes through. So, I mean, he's a he's fine for for that purpose. But he, I mean, God, he should have been traded last year. Like, yeah, wow, such an anything. Easy hey, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw uh, as of the date we're recording this, which is October six. Um, Winnipeg had a game tonight where they dressed Vili Hainola um, on the top pair with Neil Pionk, who just got acquired from the Rangers. And I think the average age between them is about 20 years old. And that's wow. because Josh Morrissey went down and the rest of their blue line was made up of Carl Dahlstrom. Uh, oh, God. Oh, Dmitry Kulikov. Oh, man, that, that blue line was ugly. And I even looked up the stats after the game, and they performed actually pretty admirably considering – there's no way that they were going to win with that blue line. There's absolutely no way, especially not with a, a Barzell-led Ireland, Islanders team. But Yeah, for as, much as, for as much as we want to talk about how bad the Blackhawks defense is, it, it could be worse. Example A. Yeah, exactly. Excuse me. I had to uh, take a little bit of a breath there. But, no, uh, it, it, it's truly bad. I mean, if you were trying to find a trade uh, trade partner for Gustafson, I'd say in the immediate, immediate future, uh, Winnipeg is probably it because their blue line is genuinely worse than the Blackhawks. I'm feeling it's genuinely worse than Chicago's defense. I don't know. I, I know, Tommy, you've seen it, but Clay, I, I don't know what your eyes have seen. Uh, way too much of Winnipeg, honestly. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I, I agree with that. Yeah, well, I, I had a conversation with somebody on Twitter the other day. Um, they picked, they listed their division um, predictions, and they listed Winnipeg in third. They Josh Morrissey is their only defenseman out of their top five that's there. Truba, gone. Yeah. Myers, gone. Bufflin, who the hell knows what yeah, he's doing. Yeah, he might not be back, no. Which makes me sad. I mean, I love Buff. But, yeah, you know, division foe getting worse. I can't be too mad at that. No, there's no, with that blue on, there's no fucking way they finish top three in that division. No, way. no, no. Here's an interesting thing I wanted to propose about the Hawks is say, you know, Murphy is out for longer than you'd expect. And then DeHaan goes down. He's still, you know, his arms falling off or whatever his problem is that week. I love the guy, but man, it just does not seem like he can stay healthy at all. They 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 were suspicious that um that he wouldn't be able to make it for the opener, which he didn't. And now there doesn't really seem to be at that much of a new timetable for his return, which seems to be, you know, I've heard everything from, you know, a week or two in mid-September to, you know, mid-November, which is a pretty wide gamut for error, is it not? Yeah, I, I kind of I was under the assumption that he'll be back for the home opener on Thursday just based off the fact that they uh sent Gilbert down before they even got back from Prague. I just assumed that meant that he would be good to go for Thursday, but maybe not. Yeah, I haven't heard much word yet, but then again we have the whole rest of the week to kind of find out. Um the question I did want to pose though was if this blue line goes tits up, which it easily could, because you look at it up and down. Um, the guys who are going to be logging regular minutes are Keith Gustafson, Mata Seabrook, and then eventually Dahan and Murphy. And so when one of those people goes down, 
it just kind of makes you wonder. Yeah, and the, and one of them will almost certainly, especially one of the older veterans like Keith or Seabrook, because I mean that mileage is going to do them in at some point. You know, you just feel it in your bones, even if it is just for a stretch of like five to ten games. It's it's still a very real possibility. Um, do you just kind of go and throw some of your kids into the fire? Because I I really like the idea of Nicola. Bodan, outside of Adam Boquist, obviously, but Nicola Bodan being on this blue line, he's kind of a case study of mine last year because I looked at him and he is a really diminutive, like offensive defender, but he's not really all that flashy, which is something that kind of sets him apart from Boquist because he's not flashy. He's still really agile. He's got great speed and great vision, but his responsibility with the stick, I think, is a lot greater. I think he's more positionally sound. And to be honest, if there's you know a lot of averages here, I mean, I'm not saying that Bodan is any more NHL ready than Boquist, or even at the same amount of NHL readiness. But were you to give you know a Bodan or a Chris or a Tuolola or a Carlson this season, like why the hell would you not do it? Are we in agreement here? Yeah, hundred percent. I think if, like you said, Keith and Seabrook, if they miss some time due to injury, they're getting up there in age. Murphy with that back injury, like back injuries don't go away. So, like he's going to miss time with that this year. Uh, it's 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 inevitable. And then Dehan is is very injury prone. So, I mean, I, you want him to stay healthy, obviously, but I mean, it just doesn't look like that's going to happen over the course of an eighty-two game season. I don't need stop gaps or veteran scrub players filling in games here. There, like you need to see what you have in these guys now. So that they need to be the first calls. I agree. Could, couldn't couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I really don't have anything against Dennis Gilbert, but holy fuck, man. You, you make a fucking move like that around the forward, then try and chip it across the boards. Like, yeah. And it just right. goes right on their stick. Okay, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to get too upset about, you know, what happened a few days ago, considering... Everything else in my sports world went wrong. Uh, Tommy, congrats to you for the Dodgers actually, you know, getting their head out of their ass. I don't know why you were so worried in the first place, but that, that um, was that was nice. I was I was a little worried I was gonna have to come on here after a <laughs> loss. So I'm glad that was avoided. That's okay. I was too because this would have been the most depressing shit on earth had they lost <laughs> and you had to come on here. But no, um, I I I would really like to see you know yeah the stop gap thing I I completely agree with I don't need to see any more Slater Cuckoo I I really don't care to see Dennis Gilbert all that much because we know what he is he's basically just Stephen Johns 2.0 with not as big a shot as far as I'm concerned um I mean if you got, if you are counting on these guys to be you know, part of your franchise one day. Chris is 21. Bodan's about to turn 20. Uh, Tuolola, I think, is somewhere in there who's 21 or 22. Same with Carlson. I mean, you might as well just give the kids, like, a few fucking games. They're, they're already under contract. They're burning up years. So, I mean, what the hell? Yeah, I mean, you've, you've preached about and bragged about your prospect pipeline the last couple of years, especially on defense. So, let's see what you got. I mean, just what do you got? Come up and Come up and show us and... You know, if they make a good impression, then there's a good chance they're part of the future. So I, I think that's definitely the way to go. Getting back to Gilbert really quick, that yeah, that turnover at the blue line that can't fucking happen like ever. But I, other than that, I didn't mind the rest of his game. He had a shift like, I don't know, a few minutes after that, where like he had three plays that stood out to me. Like 
in in like back to back to back where he had a nice hip check at the blue line separated the guy from the puck and then he came around uh the slot broke up a cross crease pass and then he blocked a shot all within probably like 20 seconds like i think he did some good things uh but that turnover can't happen under any circumstances yeah i agree i mean you saw what happened to the last blackhawk that did and that was gustafson game seven against the blues oh god Don't and we me. all know how that turned out and he got banished to the ahl for a couple of years after that so maybe we'll see dennis gilbert again when he's like 25 years old and making yeah, a, he spent you know, the entire <laughs> didn't he spend like the entire 2017 season in rockford like i don't even think he got a call up nope i don't think he got a look <laughs> that I, was I, was it really that, was that long yeah, it was 2016-17. He'd never even got a look. He came up in 17-18, right, and put together that, that, that very nice little streak towards the end of the year that eventually cascaded into the 60-point season that was. I'm pretty sure that's how it went down, right? Uh, well, okay, so the turnover and was the 2016 playoffs. Yes. Yeah, so then he didn't play at all in the 16-17 season. Which is down. hilarious. Right. And then he was up a little bit in 17-18 and then 18-19, obviously. But yeah, he spent an entire year banished to Rockford after that Game 7 turnover. And the thing is, I he wouldn't have helped anyway. Very oh, vividly. Oh, sorry. No, go I ahead. I remember go ahead. Uh, the end of the 17-18 season, it was the <laughs> funny, it was the Scott Foster game where he had like, I know he had a goal and I think he had another assist or two on the Debrinket goal, I know. I remember. I remember that game so vividly. I don't know why, but <laughs> so I Tried know he, that was during that his entire little season streak. My memory. <laughs> that game was super fucked up. I thought Winnipeg and Line A especially was gonna light that guy up for like fifty goals in one game, but yeah, that was crazy. I guess the uh, oh, man. I was just going to add, like, even in 2016-17, Gustafson w wouldn't have been able to help that blue line anyway, considering they had the rotting corpse of Johnny Oduya on that team. And yeah, then they, I they was got excited for that. I think that didn't work out, though. That, that yeah. did not work out. Uh, that, that did, that did kind of suck. But, um, no, he he couldn't have helped anyway, just because they, they eventually got their asses ripped open by the Preds in four games, like we know. So just imagine watching bad Eric Gustafson on that blue line in that series. I don't know. Maybe they should have played him because he probably wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was rough. That was. So going back to the season opener, um, the offense was putrid. Um, I actually have some stats pulled up here right now where the worst forward line that played uh, regular top line minutes was the Nylander, Taves, and Kane line, which got absolutely bombarded in their own zone. No faults of really anybody except for the fact that we couldn't clear pucks out of the zone. We just didn't have any possession. Um, I guess you could say that kind of falls on everyone except, you know, for Corey Crawford, who looked, uh, you know, okay, but, I mean, fuck. Uh, if if Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves are in the red for an entire game, you know you're in trouble. Um, you know you're definitely in trouble. And the, the 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 opportunities that the offense did have to capitalize on, like the Nylander goal, for instance, was just immediately ripped away by anything the defense did you know how king midas is like the guy you know he touches everything he turns to gold the black the blackhawks blue line everything they touch just turns to complete shit 
and I, I could not believe my fucking eyes. And you know, I'm, I'm sorry for swearing so much, but it really does just bring my piss to a straight up boil when I think about it. We've had these problems for two and going on three seasons now, and we had the Carlton uh, training camp that was supposed to fix everything. Oh, but we go out there in the first game of the season with the defense that they want uh, Sands, you know, Murphy and Dehan. I mean, I can give them a little bit of leniency for that, but like, what the fuck were we looking at there? Is that what it's going to be like for the rest of the year? I mean, I hope not. I mean, you get, I yeah. you get two uh, really good positionally sound players back in Dehan and Murphy, but uh, you know, how much water is going to rush you until the levees just break, you know? Well, and that's the thing. Yeah, like they were missing a, a third of their defense, and it was being filled by Dennis Gilbert and Slater Cuckoo. So, like, take that into account for sure. But it's not like when Murphy and Dahan come back that they're getting, you know, two top pairs shut down elite defensemen into the lineup. You know, like you're getting two pretty good defenders, but they're not just like Boquist isn't going to solve everything. They're not going to solve everything either. So, exactly. I, I think it'll be. I think it'll be better. And I, I definitely think the defense is, is positioned to be better this year than it has been in a couple of years. But, I mean, still probably not good enough. I think we all knew that. I think I think we acknowledge that while they improve the defense, it's still bad. Like, I think everyone's okay admitting that. Clay, I wanted to ask you, when Murphy and DeHaan both do get back together, do you think they log those top pair of minutes? Um, I think DeHaan... I can compare DeHaan's game a little bit to Nicholas Jalmerson just because that's who he himself compares his game to. Um, they depend, in my opinion, too much on Murphy. I think he's I think he's a decent defenseman. He's good in his own zone. But just like the rest of our blue line, he cannot skate himself out of trouble. And right. Murphy's not a great passer. So if he gets stuck in his own zone, he is not going to be the one to get them out. That's my problem with Murphy. It's been my problem with Murphy. Um, but I think they'll have to be counted on because I, I think those two may go hand in hand as your second pair to be the quote unquote shutdown pair. I'd, I'd say Wait, so too. If you're I, if you're gonna I emulate Danny, be, anything between the uh, what was it uh, Jomerson and Oduya days, or you know, I think Oduya paired with Seabrook at some points too. If you're gonna get anywhere close to emulating that, I think they have to play together, right? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, and by no means am I saying Dehan is hammer, but that's who he compared himself to in his very first interview. So he kind of asked for that comparison. I, I think but you can I, call him a poor man's Nick Jones, and I think that's fair. I, I think right, right. The one thing I do like about DeHaan's game that I think is actually better than Jomerson's at this point is how well he can play positionally and defensively. But it's not, you know, just that. I, I don't even. I'm not so sure if it's just that, um, or even that. But um, Murphy, or uh, excuse me, uh, DeHaan has an ability to take a lot of those uh, dungeon shifts and get really unsheltered starts in his own defensive zone and still really come out on the positive side of the ledger. Um, he doesn't really need to get paired with anybody who's, you know, uh, who needs like a babysitter or anything. Um, right. he, he He's just a really solid all-around guy. Um, man, I would really hate to see him paired with Seabrook, to be honest, now that I think about it. But 
No, Seabrook um, and Mott are the best deep pair in the league, though, so we don't have to Oh, yeah, dude, that. yeah, in the preseason, they're playing against ECHL God. and HL players, man. Dude, they were so good then. Fuck that. No, I just... Ah, man. Dahan, I think he'll I think he'll turn some heads. Um, you, I'm excited right. about him. Yeah, he's not he's not a top pair defender by really any stretch of the imagination, but I think he perfectly mirrors whoever he's playing with in the best sense. Like he can play with somebody like Boquist who, you know, Dehan can play center field. Or if Seabrook really, really, really wants to try and be what he once was and jump up in the play, I guess he could play center field for him too. But that's ultimately what it boils down to is Calvin Dehan is a defensive center fielder who is basically going to bail out his partner no matter who he gets paired with, um, almost always. Uh, I mean, not so much Murphy because you're right. He is pretty sound in his own defensive zone. But if there is a guy now that Murphy can pitch the puck to when he's along the boards, because that's one thing he's really good at, it's DeHaan. So he can make a pass out of the zone and get it to a winger or Taves and get yeah. that center or somebody like that. So I think there is marginal improvement there, but other than that, I, I I don't really see how this defense is doing anything more than just Carlton shuffling the deck. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, if you if you sorry if you if you squint at this defense, I think you could see what they were going for with the more defensive side of things, picking up a guy like Olimata, bringing in Dahan. But it's just it's still not good enough. But I think I think Dahan and Murphy simply have to take those shutdown minutes based on process of elimination, who else is going to do it? Because it's not Keith and Gustafson, and it sure as shit isn't Mod and Seabrook. So I think just, like, those are two you have left. They're the most logical to do it. I agree. And, um, I mean, their numbers probably aren't going to look as pretty doing it, but if I, I think they're more than capable. And, honestly, if if it if it keeps the puck out of the net, which I hope it will, then please, God. And if it even just keeps the puck you know, just off, off of getting off of Corey Crawford, you know, it, it, as long as pucks just don't get in on him, I'll be perfectly fine. Or Robin Leonard or whoever's in that, um, man, they're, they're going to get pounded. Like, and that's kind of where the injury thing kind of, kind of, uh, sits in the back of my head is, is a very real possibility for a lot of these defensemen, especially those of Murphy and DeHaan is because you know that with the Colleton system, they're going to be, I mean, it's it's pretty much all about, you know, protecting the goalie, right? It's about not letting shots get through. It's about covering your man, all that fucking shit. But, man, they're going to be blocking shots like wild people. And it's it's only a matter of time until one of them goes down. And the, the way that DeHaan is not like Nick Jalmerson is no matter how bad Jalmerson got fucked up, he always got up. He was a Oh my! Oh my God! Was he ever? But Dahan, I mean, it's not to say he's not a warrior. He's still willing to go down and make those sacrifices. But this, I, I, I'm really scared about what's going to happen if or when he goes down again. Because if that pair is inert for any stretch, like any significant stretch of time during the season, it is going. There's going to be like some serious hell to pay in their own zone. If one of the even one of those guys is absent, we saw it with both of them here in this first game. Yeah, um, wanted to move on a little bit and talk about Corey Crawford a little bit. Uh, people seem to be bagging on him already, which I don't really understand. Um, I mean, no, he did not have that inexcusable of a game. He was average at best, I would say. There's a couple goals he had given up that I, I honestly think he'd like to have back. 
But at the same time, I don't see how it's anything more than a than a blip on the radar for a guy like him. I mean, even though he is coming off kind of a questionable uh, head injury history, uh, do you guys really think there's anything to worry about in terms of him? You know, not looking so great in the first game. Absolutely fucking not. I could not be less worried about Corey Crawford. Like like you said, a couple goals that he'd like back, but at the same time, a lot of saves that he made were. Excellent saves that you could argue probably should have been goals. So it kind of evens itself out. And I would say that there was more of those saves than there were the two goals that I'd say he'd probably like back. Um, the defense wasn't great in front of him. I don't want to blame the ice, but the ice was so obviously in complete shit condition where the puck was just bouncing all over the place. Um, I, I'm not, it's, it's one game where the defense wasn't very good, where the whole team was pretty terrible after the first period. I'm, I'm not worried. Well, it's actually funny you mentioned that. Uh, the reason the Hawks lost, according to the subreddit Hawks, is uh, because they were jet-lagged despite the fact that they had been there for days and the Flyers had also made the same trip and also they played They were there the for, like, life. a whole fucking Jesus Christ. No, no, no. Yeah. Oh, boy. I swear to God, it's like putting your fucking brain in a microwave whenever you go onto that goddamn hellscape. But anyway... <laughs> Um, Clay, I wanted to ask you the same questions about Corey Crawford, whether there's reason for concern, because I wanted to follow up with something, but I'll let you answer first. Um, I, I don't think so. I kind of, I'm going to go along um, with what you guys said. He didn't look that bad. Like you said, there are a couple of goals that he would like to have back. My thing with Corey Crawford, and I've said this his whole career, he more than any other goalie, I've ever seen has the ability to make the hard saves look extremely easy and the easy saves look extremely hard. I've noticed that from day one, but I, the only thing I worry about with Crawford is his injuries. And he, like you guys said, him and Leonard, they're going to get shelled. If one piece of this defense is out, whether it be Murphy or DeHaan, and even when we have our full defense, who knows what it's going to be like. They're still probably going to get shelled. So he, if we're going to be successful, he's going to have to make 35, 40 saves a night. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. Uh, I'm just kind of smiling at that uh, vision, not of him or Leonard getting injured or anything, but just <laughs> of, of, of Corey Crawford. I, I, I picture this every time of him just staying up in the locker room and threatening everybody with like a knife or something like that, just in between <laughs> periods, because man, what was that one game last year where they gave up like 60 shots to the lightning? Yeah. Like 35 of them in one period was like oh the second period. Oh my God. That was unbelievable. Yeah, that was- that was what game five or six. It that was, was early pretty early. In the it was pretty early. Yeah. yeah, it was supposed to be one of the litmus tests to see how the Hawks could hold up in against uh, an elite team, and that was the result. That will they never got, not make me laugh. They got absolutely. Yeah, that was that was brutal. That they was got just, that was embarrassing, dude. honestly. Oh man, I I, I kind of chuckle back on it now, but seriously, sixty shots is like a feat, even for the Lightning, who, by the way, um, lost to Carolina today after getting uh no shots in their game in the second period so um they're actually like one one and one right now which is kind of interesting they looked horrible tonight did you watch the game yeah they look they looked like absolute dog shit i mean carolina was completely controlling the pace of play dougie hamilton had a huge game shout out my fantasy team 
but I mean, they looked horrible. Well, here's here's the thing. I guess if if the Blackhawks were to get, you know, they, they've gotten some of their, you know, intel, so to speak, from uh, guys like uh, Dahan and probably Sarilla, maybe about what kind of game Carolina likes to employ. I'm assuming at some point, you know, it's come up in conversation. One thing I don't really understand is why they haven't tried to employ any of it themselves, considering like Carolina, despite not being the best team on paper all the time, despite the fact, you know, they got a pretty good blue line now, but back then, you know, even when, even when they weren't so good in the last few years, um, they've still been possession monsters, like almost no matter what. So I don't know why the Hawks have never tried to emulate anything that they do. It's just weird. But um, no, uh, to get back on track, Corey Crawford, you know, he wasn't great. Also wasn't to blame. Um, I feel like more of that blame definitely falls on players who played like Duncan Keith, who we'll get to yeah. in a second, because I just wanted to point out the one bright spot that we had um, in the whole game, and that's uh, the Debrinket Strom and Shaw line looked actually legitimately pretty good, uh, despite you know Shaw being a complete dumbass and taking a penalty in his own zone again after, I think it was Sanheim was like giving Debrinket some love, love taps in the crease. Uh Shad, you know, just came barreling in, you know, like the hero he is and started cross-checking away, taking a completely unnecessary penalty. I think that put him on the power play, which like got, you know, immediately wiped to four on four for a little bit. But I do remember, I think the Flyers scored on that sequence, if I do remember correctly. Am I wrong? The, yeah, they scored the four they on, scored four, on the yeah. four on four. Yep. That's probably okay. one of the goals I'd say Crawford want back. That was the little backhander over the shoulder. Was well, that the well, one where Konechny walked around Keith? Yeah, they, uh, okay. which which is actually going to be my second point was, yeah, that was a bad goal on Crawford, but my the bigger concern there for me was Keith just getting absolutely roasted, like not even looking bothered to give the slightest bit of a fuck out there. So I promise you we'll get to him <laughs> in literally two seconds. But 12, uh, 12, 17, 65, something to look out for. It didn't look bad the other night or other day or whatever the hell it is, but um, – I, I really like the combination of having them together just because, you know, 12 is a sniper, 17 is the playmaker, and 65 is the puck getter, despite the fact that 65 doesn't seem have, doesn't have much going on in between his ears, like, all the time. Um, I, I think he's a valuable asset on that line. I don't think he puts up the 20 goals or whatever it was he did last year, even with Debrinkin and Strom finding his stick, because Debrinkin does have an underrated playmaking ability, and I will die on that fucking hill. But... Um, Shaw has a place in that line. I don't think it's as bad as a mutant experiment that I thought it was going to be. Um, it it, it was almost a little bit Quin Quinvillian, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Uh, just yeah. to have him yep. up in that top six role. But no, I I kind of liked what I saw, and I I really hope uh we can see more of that going forward. Did you guys have any thoughts about Shaw being in the top six right away? I mean, I don't mind it. I think ideally, if the team's at its best, and Andrew Shaw is a guy that you want in your bottom six. But, I mean, for right now, when nobody really stepped up to claim those top six winger spots, and for some reason Carlton is set on having Saad, you know, in the bottom six, so that's part of it. But I think for right now, I think it's fine. I don't mind it. He's a guy that probably the most versatile forward in the lineup. Uh, he'll be all over the place. At some point this year, he'll be on the first line. He'll be on the second line. He'll be on the third line. 
she'll be on the fourth line. He'll be all over the place. So for right now, I don't, I don't mind it as a start, but I think ideally, you know, best case scenario is somebody steps up to take that top six role and then you can move him into the bottom six more consistently where I feel like he's better suited. But for right now, it's fine. I have no I'm, problems with it. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit and say that I actually really like Sa on the third line just because there's a lot of NHL third lines out there that really aren't worth anything right now. And uh, I mean, I, I saw a lot of good Brandon Saad in this last game. I really liked how he played. Uh, David Kampf couldn't win a faceoff, but to be honest, I feel like he's more capable than what he did. Um, just this last game, I think he went like one for nine or something just horrible. Um, but you know, he probably took way more faceoffs than that. I'm just messing up. I just remember it being a horribly negative metric. And, uh, I, I really like Saad on that left wing with, uh, Kampf and Kubalik because it, it kind of does emulate the, uh, what you're going for in the top six minus, you know, a legit third line center, which I'm hoping we're going to get with Kirby Doc here soon because a sod Doc and Kubalik line is a lot of ass. It's a lot of power and it's a lot, a lot, a lot of heavy shooting. So I'd like to see more of that in the future, but specifically on Brandon Saad, I like the way he bulldogged himself to the net on quite a few plays in this last game. And to be honest, I know he's kind of pegged as a guy who doesn't give a hundred percent, a hundred percent every shift or every game. But um, I think if there's a year that he turns a new corner, I think we even talked about this last week about him maybe being uh, a breakout yeah, I, player. I picked him as a, as a breakout player. I guess my biggest thing with him in the bottom six is like I'm just having a hard time talking myself into a guy making $6 million a year, playing third-line minutes and not getting you know really any power play time. But, I mean, if they're winning games, I really don't give a shit about that either. So That's fair enough. Um, now we can get on to other matters concerning the defense namely the numbers 2 7 68 and 56 but we'll start off with number 2 um <laughs> n- not in you know the innuendo way i mean I-, I guess you could say it was number 2 because duncan keith looked like straight up shit so oh, tommy i'll let you yeah. kick that one off like my biggest thing was he had a duncan keith had a terrible game and again like we don't need to talk about this every time but He's 35, 36, whatever he is, on a bad knee, coming off, playing 30 minutes a night for the last decade. He's not prime Duncan Keith anymore. We all know that. He's not the guy that literally did not leave the ice in the 2015 playoffs. He's not that guy anymore. But I need to see some effort. Like, holy shit, dude. Like, please just act like you care out there for, like, an entire game. Like, he, like it's just it's the effort for me. Like, I do not feel like he's trying very hard. I don't feel like he gives a shit out there. And that one goal, the 4-4 four four goal, that Crawford probably should have saved. Like, he got walked around at the blue line. Like, that can't happen. It, it just it can't happen under any circumstances. His effort, it needs to be there every night. Like, his head cannot be as far up his ass as it was the other day in Prague. Well, the thing is, like, it, it, it kind of spills over into what we were talking about earlier. Like, if you do bring up a kid and you see Duncan Keith play that night in and night out, what the hell right. is the kid going to think? Right. Um... I, I just look at that one goal, and, man, if it wasn't something I saw a lot of last year. I mean, there's one standout play Duncan Keith made last year, and that was the the play in overtime um, where they're wearing the outdoor jerseys inside for some stupid reason. But uh, it was versus <laughs> Colorado in overtime where Duncan Keith beat Nathan McKinnon around the net. 
or to the net, excuse me, with the puck on his stick. And he actually just like barrel stuffed a, a goal into the net. He basically just willed it in like no matter what. That was probably the highlight of Duncan Keith's year last year. That was, I don't know yeah. where it came from. I don't know if he just like decided to start giving a shit or something, or if like maybe the buffet line was getting too long. I, I have no idea, but like, I guess I should reserve that joke for Seabrook because Duncan Keith is still like fit as fuck. But um, man, I, I do agree with you. There has to be more out of him because on that Konechny goal, he really didn't do anything more except just wave his stick at him. And that's yeah. really not something that's acceptable out of a 35 or 36 year old veteran defenseman who just refuses to adjust for whatever reason. Like we don't, nobody expects him to be the best defenseman in the league anymore. I think we're all, We've all accepted the fact that those days are behind him, but like, I I know he's still a good player. Like, he's not a bad player. I I know he could still play, and it's just like you watch him out there, and it's just like he can't be bothered to like do anything right sometimes, and it's so frustrating because like he he's not bad. Like, I know he can still play, and it's just you don't see it out there too often anymore. No, not anymore. Um, Brent Seabrook, your worst defender on five on five, posted a thirty-two point two six share at even or not at evens on five on five. That is um just five on five, which I mean he logged seventeen minutes at five on five and boy did he look like fucking garbage. I mean that was the first time that he saw some real competition, you know, um since April and he gets thrown out there with Mata, who actually didn't, you know, look heinous in my opinion i think he was mostly like he jumped in the play a couple times he he went to the net he had a he had a couple really good reads that i thought you know i can see why the blackhawks picked him up but um only mata didn't offend me only because like he looked good by comparison to, to to fucking brent seabrook and when you're having to drag brent seabrook's ass around for an entire 60 minute game or however long you're out there i mean how how good is that pairing really going to look? Because Brent Seabrook, you know, uh, it doesn't matter if you push the uh, greatest shape of his life narrative. He still looks like he's got cement galoshes for skates. He's he's bad. He's been, I think he got, uh, he got the contract and almost instantly. That year we saw him start to decline. And man, last year and the year and this year, man, he's just been horrible. But I, I, I don't want to. I I love Seabrook and I love Keith. I don't want to beat on them too much, but man, they're bad. And Keith, Keith is not a top pair defenseman anymore. And the thing is, Colleton doesn't really have a choice because you're either throwing Keith out there for whatever it was, twenty five minutes or twenty two minutes, or you're throwing. Ali Mata or Slater Kook. I mean, he, yeah, he doesn't have, well, I tell you what, when, when I saw Slater Cuckoo paired with Duncan Keith, I wanted to throw up. I mean, it was, that was ridiculous. I, I, me and my girlfriend were watching the game. I looked at her and said, you gotta be shitting me. Oh and man. That, but I, I actually here, I don't want to take it off the rails but i have a question for both of you guys go ahead go ahead we're the worst show. how long <laughs> how long into the season does it take before seabrook gets scratched 
Oh, man. I don't know if Carlton has the balls, man. Like, when was the last uh, time we saw it happen? It happened last year, I think, when Quenville was still here. Uh, right? It was two years was ago two years up in, ago? like, Ottawa. Yeah, it was yeah. two years ago Quenville did it. Oh, Jesus. I, here, yeah. Well, that's I, if Quinville has the balls to do it, I, I think Carlton do it. I mean, I think, I, think, I think it could happen because I think Carlton already, I mean, since he took over, Seabrook's minutes have gone down a little bit. Like, he's not playing as much. Uh, he's getting more sheltered uh, starts and all that. So I, I, I think he's he'll get scratched at some point this year, and it's unfortunate because I, I've said many times I'm I'm big Brent Seabrook fan. I'll always be a Seabrook fan. I'm, I'll forever be grateful for everything he gave the Hawks in his prime. Same with Heath, but man, he's just he doesn't have much of anything in his game anymore that you could sit and say that could help a team. I mean, I, he's more of a vocal leader for that locker room. Uh, right now, and he provides more in the locker room than he can on the ice at this point. I just... Um, I, oh, go on. Sorry. I was about to sidetrack I just, hardcore. Uh, <laughs> I just can't... Jeremy Colleton and, I mean, Stan too, but the coaching staff cannot look everybody in the face and say, and this goes back to Bokevist, that they are giving the team the best chance to win with seven on the ice instead of Boatvist, or I'll even throw Bodan in there. I mean, Bodan and Boatvist right now are miles ahead of Brent Seabrook. I agree. I'm not so sure about miles, especially concerning Bodan, considering he hasn't seen NHL ice ever. But, um, well, not ever, but you, you pretty much know what I mean. Like, right, uh, right. Boquist has got the skills to kind of, you know, prove his point. But no, I I agree they are better than Seabrook, um, even if they have a grand total of zero NHL games played at this point. <laughs> you're absolutely correct. Um, I I honestly think if Brent Seabrook is gonna get healthy scratch, one of the kids has got to come up first. So I guess to answer your question, um, if you do see a call up of some sort like that, and it could be Boquist within the month, um, I don't know if that necessarily means Seabrook gets scratched. In an ideal world, it does, but um, I, I, I would say that is one of your better bets is one of Bodan or Boquist comes up and just straight up takes a spot. I hope so. I, I, yeah, I want nothing more than a Calvin DeHaan and Adam Boquist, either first or second pairing. I that's all I want. I've been calling for that since. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. If, if, if Boquist does come up, you do. Yeah. You definitely need a more stay at home guy to kind of play free safety. Let him do, let him do his thing out there. You know, pinch in, jump up in the play, and he has that little free safety, you know, back there to to make sure that things don't go to shit pretty quickly with not memorize the other way. But I mean, he he should be up now. We all know it. But like going back to Seabrook, I I just think, and, and the sad thing is, like I still think that there are things that he does do well. Like I don't think his entire game is shit at this point. But when you can't skate and when your decision making is pretty poor. It, things are, are, are not going to go well out there, and it's just, it's just really tough to watch. Um, I did have a, a bit of a follow-up question, not to go too far back into the conversation. We can get through this really quick. But as far as Corey Crawford is concerned, what would you say ideal stat line for him would be? Because mine would be up there with, like, you know, um, a 240, 250 goals against average and, like, a 915 save percentage. Do you think that would be fair? I, I yeah, I think that's fair. I think 
I, I think I think those are pretty ideal numbers. You obviously you don't want to see that save percentage, you know, dip down below, you know, like into nine, below nine hundred. Right, oh, right, right. So you need that in the, you know, you need that a little bit up there. And goals against, you know, right there too. I I, I think, you know, I, I I don't think he's. I think he's pretty much the same goal he's always been. Aside from the fact that he's come back from two concussions, like I don't see anything in his game where I'm like, he can't play anymore. Does that make sense? So I think, right. I like I don't think. He, he hasn't played much the last two years, but I don't watching him play. He doesn't look different to me. Like he looks like the same Corey Crawford. Um, he is, just he doesn't never, have as good of a defense from him. He he's never really relied on athleticism either. Um, right. He he's just a really positionally sound goalie, and that's stuff that you learn. And I, I'm I'm assuming he hasn't forgotten it. Yeah, I mean, when I, like I'm watching him play, and he like he looks like the same Corey Crawford. He's he's always looked to me. So I think. You know, I, I like the numbers you toss out. I think I think those are totally fair. You don't, I mean, obviously you don't want to see, you know, you get below like a nine ten ish or so in save percentage. Like you don't want to see that. Um, but I, I mean, I don't. My expectations for him are really not that different than they've ever been. I I think he could still play. It's just the defense in front of him now is is not very good. So he's going to face more shots. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing for me. Um, Clay, uh, you agree? Yeah, I agree. I. The one thing I'd say is the goals per game is, I mean, assuming the defense is what we all think it is, um, I think the save percentage might get inflated just based on the sheer number of shots. Yeah, that's a good you point. Know, I mean, that's a good point. <laughs> I mean, if he faces 40 to, you know, I mean, I think the first game he had, I think, I believe he faced 42 shots, I think. I'm, that's I'm not, pretty sure they had they had almost like seventy fucking shot attempts too. Yeah. Yep. But I, so I I mean you got to think if if he faces forty two and allows three goals, first of all that's a hell of a night. And I, I mean the save percentage just by virtue of that is going to be increased. And as with that, the goal of the game might be too. But I think like you guys said. I think Crawford's the same guy. I don't think the concussions have changed him that much. It's just he doesn't have, you know, four stalwarts in front of him letting 20 shots a night in. That's it. No, yeah, I agree. And uh, this all being said, this is this is way more than likely. I'm, I'm assuming over 90% likely that this is the last season we see Corey Crawford as well. I know we kind of covered it last week, but um, as far as I'm concerned, this is the Corey Crawford farewell tour. So if you do get a chance to go see him play again, especially at United Center, please God, do yourself a favor and go do it because Corey Crawford deserves nothing but love from the city of Chicago. Um, I just wanted to touch on one more guy before we move into the questions, and that is Eric Gustafson. Um, I know <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous to say that his trade value is diminishing after just one game, but holy shit, he was so bad. How can you look at that game and not only one, take him seriously, but then two, imagine that anybody is going to realistically think that he can put up the numbers that he did last year. I mean, you might be able to find somebody desperate for like, you know, a defender who who could be a viable trade partner in like Winnipeg, for example, but yeah, I was just going to say, looking time, at you, Winnipeg. exactly. What, 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 what do you think the Hawks could really get for him at this point? 
I mean, it's tough because it's, I mean, it's so early. Like, it's early in the season. It's one game. You don't see too many trades this early. But like, I, I just have like a, a quick question. I, I, we are we all in agreement that he's only on the roster this year because of what he did for the power play last year? Like, are we in Absolutely. agreement that it's the only reason that he's back? Is because of what it did for the power play? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, like, if the power play doesn't take off last year, he's playing somewhere else this year, 100%. So what happens if he can't do the same thing for the power play this year? Then then teams are going to say, okay, well, that was his one skill, was helping a power play, which honestly was literally just giving the puck to Kane and letting him, you know, <laughs> do 95% of the work. If we're just, if, let's be honest here. Um I, I don't because he can't defend. He's a defenseman that can't defend. So if he's not putting up those power play points, like what he has no value at all. So I don't I don't know what they can get. I think like last year everyone said you know you could probably get what well, last year I forget who it was. I think it was uh, uh, the guy from the Athletic Lazarus or Powers. I think they, were, they both of them were having a discussion on one of their podcasts that I listened to, and I know Lazarus isn't everyone's favorite or whatever, but he said I'm not trading Eric Gustafson unless I can get a first round pick. And I think that is an absurd ask. I, I, I if I'm trading Eric Gustafson, I'm not thinking like, wow, we need a first round pick. I just give me give me something in return. I don't know what they can get though, because I think it's entirely contingent on what he does for this power play this year. And uh I, I don't I don't know the answer to that. Because it was what they did yeah. last year at forty percent or whatever was not sustainable. So my uh, pipe dream is that they ship him and Secura off to uh, off to Carolina for Brett Pesci because I did a little bit of a deep dive in the stats um, the other day. And when I was kind of forming like an ideal lineup of who I'd like to see Augustuson potentially traded for, uh, Carolina's Brett Pesci was some guy that kind of stuck, stuck out to me because he's a, he's a nice right-handed shot. I'm pretty sure he's right-handed at least. But um, he also takes the majority of his starts in the defensive zone. Um, he can put up 30, 35 points, and he also has positive possession numbers, and he's done this consistently throughout his career. I don't know that – I don't think that goes through at all, but if there was somebody I would specifically seek out and maybe you know kick the tires on, I would say Brett Pesci is probably your guy because he does bring – you know, a decent amount of offense, but he also brings that smart, reliable defensive stability to this blue line that they desperately need because it's like we've been saying the whole podcast, if one of Murphy or DeHaan goes out, goes down, who are you seriously going to rely on to fill that gap? Yeah. The answer I've is got no. a name. I've got a name for you. And sure. I, I, I don't think it would be, I, I don't know if you could pry him away from Anaheim, um, just on Gustafson, but, uh, Josh Manson is a dude that would look phenomenal in this blue line. He's like six foot four and just a defense. He is the true defensive defenseman that, you know, I know it's a rarity now, but can actually play defense um, and at a high level. Um, but. I- I know who you're talking about, and I know who that is, but I also just want a obligatory uh, local guy alert. He is from Hinsdale, Illinois. <laughs> uh, I did not know that upon looking that up, but what I did want to ask you, didn't his old man play for the Hawks at some point? I want to say yes. I believe so. I think so. I think he had a cup of coffee, I believe. He played for the Chicago Blackhawks from 86-87 to... 90, 91. So yeah, that's a pretty good stretch of time. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. That's longer sure. than I thought, actually. He's got a connection here. I actually kind of like that idea because, I mean, geez, I mean, yeah. Um, Anaheim, I actually think, is actually kind of a viable suitor. I think they want to make Manson something sort of a captain one day in Anaheim because apparently he's another big locker room guy. Um, he is 28 years old. That does kind of concern me like a little bit. Um, I don't know what his contract looks like, so I, I can't say for sure whether I'd take it or leave it. But no, I, I really like where your head's at there. He is a big, scary, right-handed defensive defenseman, and he's got that vocal leadership, all the intangibles that the coaches love. Local guy. I mean, I think that'd be actually a pretty perfect fit, especially if you're shipping off, you know, a Gustafson and a secure as a sweetener. That might get it done. Yeah. Well, and add add to the fact that, oh, God, no team needs scoring, especially from the back end more than <laughs> just yeah, throwing that out there, too. <laughs> if, if you wanted to give your youth a kick in the ass, like I, I can't remember uh, who all made the team for them this year. But if you really did want to give the, the Anaheim Ducks youth a kick in the ass, I, I'm pretty sure. Eric Gustafson would be a really palatable option for them too. So yeah, that's actually a name I had considered, but I actually, I, I really like that idea. I think you're, you're on the, you're onto something there. You guys are um, getting creative with these trades. Quite honestly, I'd take a draft pick for Gustafson. And like, I really, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah. I mean, honestly, I would be like, Oh yeah. Again, it just depends to me again. It just depends on what is he going to do for this power play this year? Cause we know he can't defend like we, He's not going to help the defense in any way, shape, or form. That's been proven, well-established. Nothing is changing there. He he helped the power play. To, like, they were scoring at, what, like a 40% clip there for a little bit last year? Like, completely crazy. historically high, unsustainable numbers for, for like, a one- or two-month stretch there. And that's where his value came from. So, like, to me, what what happens with the power play these first couple months, uh, you know, by the trade deadline or, or whatever? Because I... I think we're all in agreement he's not back next year. Like, no, if, if he won't be able to no. afford him anyway. He, he, yeah, he won't be back for one of two reasons. A, he sucks this year on defense and on the power play, so they're not going to want him back. Or B, he helps the power play enough to the point where they're not going to be able to afford him. So he's not back next year. So maybe he's a guy you look to trade, but to me, you're not getting like a super valuable return unless he helps that power play again. But I mean, I, honestly, I would take a draft pick because I don't really have much use for him. And honestly, whatever moves him out of the lineup and gets Boquist up faster, I'm all for. So I'd honestly take a draft pick in a heartbeat as well. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I just remembered, I mean, talking about last trade deadline, and this is going to make us all sick, but <laughs> someone like Pittsburgh, what would they have given for it? I mean, I just want to remind you guys, Ooh. Brian Boyle got a damn second round pick from the Predators. That's true. <laughs> I, I, I really I don't mean, know. What, hey, Ryan Hartman, that's the first point rounder. Defenseman. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Ryan, Ryan, that, that first rounder is now Nicola Bodan. So right. uh, you can, you can yeah, put I, that in your fucking and pipe that, and smoke it. That's why I don't understand why they didn't trade him last year. Like, to me, last year, that was his career year as far as offensive numbers goes. Like, I, I, I don't really see another 60-point season, you know, in the cards for him based solely on the fact that a good chunk of those points came from when that power play was scoring at 40%. That's not happening again. Like, yeah, I agree. Like, it's, it... And Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh yeah. I was just going to say okay. like, like it's just, it's not, it's not what he did in the power play last year. There's a good chance it's not duplicated. So like his value last year is all time high. And if you didn't want to trade him at the deadline because you were 
cling to the fact that you were a bubble playoff team at that point. Uh, fine. <laughs> like, like I, 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 I sort of understand that, but he could have been traded at the draft back in June and you could have gotten something for him then. Like, I, uh, it's just frustrating. Like, it, it was just, it, to me, it was just a no brainer. Like, I don't care that he's got a good cap hit for the, for the numbers he was putting up last year because he's a defenseman that can't defend and he was scoring on a power play that was quarterbacked by Patrick Kane. So it's just like, I don't know. He, I, they just, they should have traded him last year. It's just frustrating. Yeah. I, Clear, you I, had a thought. Yeah, I mean, here's the if you're if you're looking at it from the power play numbers, which by the way he did have two assists um, in game one. So, but I just found that funny that we're all trashing him. But he did have two assists, and that's Eric Gustafson's game. He's a train wreck in his own zone, but he'll give you two points. You know, I mean, but the thing is, Adam Bogvist could do what he's doing. Better. I mean, he, he yeah. is carrying the puck into the zone, passing it to Patrick Kane, grabbing some popcorn and watching. And every Pretty once much. in a while, throwing a puck to the net. That is what he does on the power play. There Whereas, is... Oh, I was just going to say, you see, you see Adam Boquist juggle a puck in midair behind the net, put it down clearly on his stick, take a wide wrap around, and then pick a corner and snipe it. Which yeah. is nothing you will ever see Eric Gustafson ever no. do. Maybe in his wet dreams he can do that, but there's no way you're ever going to see Eric Gustin, uh, Gustafson in real life attempt and then complete that sort of task at all. No, the the skill, but the skill differential between Eric Gustafson and Adam Bogvist is <laughs> the Grand Canyon is what it is. But I agree. I I'm with you. I mean. I'm with you guys. I would take a draft pick for good. I would take a third round draft pick or, you know, if they could get a second off of a team that needs scoring out of their back end, you know, a quote unquote contender because his cap hit is not expensive. So teams that need scoring out of their back end that think they have a shot at the playoffs, I I would think that'd be a pretty I mean, I know he can't defend, but if you're just looking for a, you know, third-pairing power play specialist, which teams with a solid top four can do, I, then I would think he'd have some suitors if he if what he did last year continues. But if not, then no. I mean, it has precedence, too, because you take a look at what Justin Schultz did for the Penguins in 2016 and 17. You look directly at him, it's the same thing. Or it could yep. be the same thing, except Gustafson's a little slower, but you don't need to mention that in negotiations. <laughs> so um, I just wanted to wrap things up by moving on to questions. Is that okay with you guys? Yeah, yeah, tell yep. me. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to start off here uh, from Hose Mad. <laughs> nice name. At, uh, at Blue Star Boy 709 uh, thoughts on Dallas being 0-3 already and Winnipeg having, having nobody left to play defense? Got to think it bodes well for the Hawks if they can regroup on Thursday. I agree. Um, Dallas being 0-3 is hilarious. I think that's actually something at least me and Tommy kind of expected because I don't think either of us really bought the whole facade of Dallas like whatsoever. Like, where did the hype for them? Like, I don't understand where the hype for them came from. Like, they added Joe Pavelski. Like, okay. Ben Bishop, but... who sucks, like, high key is not good anymore, in my opinion. Not really due to his, you know, I mean, they've, they've had him. This is, his, been... this is his second year in Dallas, right? So, like, yeah. This offseason, they added Pavelski, in, and everyone, like, okay. I mean, you were a second-round exit last year. You couldn't close up the Blues, but we don't really need to talk about that because 
Ah, oh, fuck last year. But, they, I mean, they added Joe Pavelski. Good addition, but, like... Uh, Corey Perry. Yeah, not so great addition. So, like... Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> like, I, 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 don't, I never... I mean, I think they're good enough for a wild card spot, maybe. But, like, I don't... I never really understood the hype. So, like, I'm not, like, stunned to see them start 0-3 or anything like that. Like, that doesn't surprise me. Um, and as far as Winnipeg goes, we kind of talked about this for a large chunk of the podcast, but they're a trade suitor. Stan Bowman, please, for the love of God, make a call. Um, Clay, do you have any thoughts on Winnipeg or Dallas? I I think the Dallas hype train started when they beat Nashville, who, by the way, Na- Nashville last year was completely and totally overrated. They couldn't score on the power play, and when you can't score on the power play, in the playoffs, you do not score very often. It is so hard to score five on five, and quite frankly, they couldn't do it. So that's why Dallas had the upper hand. And I, that's where the hype came from. They have a good tandem and goal, but I don't think they're as good as everybody thinks they are. And quite frankly, I, Jamie Benn's getting older and he's not getting better. And other yeah, than Tyler Sagan, right. And other than Tyler Sagan, I mean, they got Pavelski, but he's also 35 or 36. I, I don't see where their scoring's coming from. Yeah, I don't see where their scoring's coming from. Other than, obviously, Tyler Sagan's, you know, a star. But other than him, I'm not sure I see where their scoring's coming from. Yeah, they remind and me so a lot far, of Colorado as far as that goes. They kind the of one, do. The right one line kind of, yeah, the, the the top lines carry, and if they're not producing, you don't see much. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. You, no, I, I was no, just going to say Colorado's depth has kind of fleshed out at least a little bit for them. But I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. Really, go on. As far as Colorado goes, Nazim Kadri will be the pickup that, I mean, that is a perfect pickup for them because they have a plus defense. Not to get off track, but they have a plus defense. They needed a second line center, and Nazim Kadri would be perfect if he can, you know, not break his stick over a dude's head again. <laughs> at least not in the playoffs. You know he's good at right. getting penalties, at least. Yeah. <laughs> but, not to get um, too off track, but uh, go on. Some somebody I don't remember which one of you mentioned the Dallas goaltending tandem. Like, uh, you'd open as a backup. Like, if the if the Sharks are not on the phone trying to get him or somebody of his caliber to start in net for them, like, right now, I don't I don't know what they're doing, because holy shit, is Martin Jones fucking suck. Martin Jones Awful. is so bad. Holy um, cow. It was 3-0 in the off chance that you're listening to this. I'm sorry, man. Or a uh, regular, everyday, normal guy. My guy, dude, you are... I, I feel sorry for both of you for having to watch that night in and night out, because they're big Sharks fans, I'm pretty sure, and holy hell, I don't know how they do it. Did you see the stat on Martin Jones? He's allowed the yes. first shot on goal of the season to go on him, go in on him for the last five years. Like for the last five years, the first shot you face beat you for a goal. That is, that is unbelievable. It's consistency, are... my friend. <laughs> they are not getting past Vegas, and they are not. I no. mean, no. I, I don't know that they'll get to the play. I think I, Vancouver. I, I, they may surprise some people. But even if San Jose finishes in the three spot, I don't care if it's Calgary and I don't care if it's Vegas. They're not getting past either of with Martin Jones in the goal. That team is pretty much just a bunch of over the over the hill fucking 
mouth breathers. Um, a bunch of European imports are undrafted, and then Eric Carlson. Yep, that's 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 <laughs> the Sharks. There's no, I don't think there's a way they make the playoffs this year. Um, oh, I got them in playoffs, but I don't see them going anywhere. I, I, I like even if they do, I'm positive they'll just get absolutely you know sack punched by whoever they face. <laughs> uh, that's what i'm convinced of i'm uh, moving on to the next question this is aimed directly at you tommy um what do you think of wainwright inevitably throwing a uh, complete game shutout in game set uh, game <laughs> seven of the nlcs oh fuck yeah i'm already mentally preparing myself for that so. that was from yeah. scott at midwest oak um Thanks, scott yeah yeah <laughs> i know he likes having fun with you but <laughs> That is a very real possibility, which is oh, kind of the like scary part. Cardinals and their devil magic, man. It doesn't stop. It does not stop. Um, from Wally Maz at WallMaz35, um, which pair was the best on defense? Hilariously, I thought it was a modern Seabrook because they're solid defensively. Fine. I mean, nobody looked really that good, so I'll give you that. The rest of the defense yeah. is pretty bad. Yeah, For, I for the that. fact that everyone fucking sucked, I, I would agree Seabrook Amato was the... the uh, the best of the worst, I guess, for for lack of a better yeah, word. I mean, exactly. If if Seabrook and Mater are performing your best on your blue line, then holy shit, you've got some stuff to figure out, man. Oli Mata, I thought was he was generally okay. He didn't piss me off. I, I think if, I mean, like I see what they're going for, and if he could find even a little bit of his game from those two cup runs, I would be thrilled. Uh, he he had one one play the other day where he like he tried to move the puck all the way up the ice. It was just like holy shit, dude! Like dump it in pass it do something like you can't fucking skate like stop but like generally i thought he had a, a not terrible game which was a little bit encouraging but yeah i mean best of the worst pair right there i mean it was yeah. nothing to brag about for sure especially on the bottom pair where we have seen the likes of you know carl dahlstrom slater cuckoo brandon manning and the like i mean not Ugh. terrible is kind of what we're aiming for at this point as sad as it sounds it's a very low bar we're setting for ourselves exactly uh clay do you have any thoughts on that uh, yeah, I mean, as far as defensive pairings go, I guess they're the tallest midget. I mean, that's kind of what <laughs> I was Is that a short with. joke? We're making short jokes on <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know if you know this here, but Tommy's 5'4", so you might want to watch what you say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my bad. <laughs> no, nah, I'm just messing with you, dude. We, ha we have fun here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, but, you know, in all seriousness, I, they looked they looked okay. I mean... I would like to see a Mata Murphy pairing. I think that would be a lot better. But as far as that game goes, yeah, that that would be my pair. But like I said, it's by default. I agree. Um, so I wanted to get to this question uh, from Brett at Cubby Blue ninety seven. Uh, does Corey Crawford get benched if he struggles on Thursday? A collective one, two, three. No, nope. no, not happening. So um, I guess no. it also kind of depends on what benched you're talking about like it's pulled maybe like if he's off to a horrible start then maybe he gets pulled but like i think I th yeah benched i mean for a stretch of time no absolutely not well and the thing is too is like I'm, I'm gonna need way more than an okay game and then i mean hypothetically speaking for for the purposes of this question a bad game for to say he's not gonna be playing as much anymore like i think we're all in agreement that the goalie split providing everyone stays healthy and nobody just really fucking sucks. It's going to be pretty close to a 50-50 split this year, so I don't really see anybody getting benched, per se, at all this season, because I think it's going to be pretty even. Yeah, I agree. I do, I do think, um, as far as the goalie split goes, 
I think I think you're right. I think it'll be 50-50. But I do think if, let's say, Leonard gets hot, I think they ride the hot hand, and then when Crawford gets hot, vice versa. Yeah. So I think oh, it'll be 50-50, but I don't know that it'll be 50-50 in the fact of, you Not know, since set starts. As right. It'll right. just kind of right. average itself out. Right. Right, okay. exactly. Fair enough. Um, from James Hicks the third, which is a cool name, um, at JD Hicks eighty eight says when Calvin DeHaan does come back, who does he get, who does he get paired with? Um, I think we kind of agreed on Murphy, but I also wouldn't mind see him play with Keith just because I heard he can play on his offside. I don't know if that is you know viable at all. But if you guys have I any know other he thoughts, he played he played on his offside in Carolina in their playoff run. He actually played with uh, Pesci, I believe. Really, um, I believe. I believe Pesci is a left. Yes, Pesci is a left shot, and so is he. I believe so. He is a left shot. Okay, well, maybe I was wrong then. But um, yeah, dude, I, I Tommy... think he starts with Murphy. I think I think he starts with Murphy. I think we're all in agreement on that. But I mean, there's just, there's going to be so much shuffling this year. I don't I don't really. I think everyone's going to play with everybody at at some point in time throughout the season. Uh. If he could play his offside, that would actually add to the Jalmerson comparison, so that'd be kind of cool. But yeah, I mean, I think Keith that'd be a decent pairing. I, I think he starts with Murphy. Though. I think we're looking the majority of the time, with Murphy, but it's going to be a mix and match all season. They're just they're not good enough to have set pairs. It just is what it is. Um. Okay. So this is from Nick S or Nick's. I'm I'm assuming it's Nick S. Nick X. Oh shit. Nick S. Blackhawks talk. Um. At talk Nick S. I think. Um, Corey Close Crawford off. played. Yeah, sure. Corey Crawford played well, but on two of the four goals he allowed were probably goals he would have wanted back. Does Robin Leonard get the net in the home opener on Thursday? Another collective one, two, three. Fuck no. no. Okay. Um, at least all. Do we I'm, need to expand on that at all? I mean, do you have a thought? I mean, I, I'm assuming the two goals he's talking about would be the four on four goal where the backhander went over his shoulder again. Their concern for me there is Keith got walked around on the blue line. And that, that, that to me, that can't happen. That shot never happens. If, if Keith is defending properly, that goal never happens. And I'm assuming the second goal he's talking about is the wraparound where I, I I'm not even sure what happened. Like, I don't I think Crawford might've just lost track of, of the, the puck. Cause he, he didn't even look like he was facing the right way when the puck was, was coming towards him and it got wrapped around. I'm assuming that's the goal he's talking about. Um, yeah. but like we touched on earlier, he, Made a lot of saves that arguably should have been goals, so I'm not going to sweat too much about two, I don't know, soft goals, for lack of a better word. Um, he's starting the home opener. Uh, I mean, he absolutely should start the home opener at, at this point. Uh, for what I he's mean, done it's, for the it's franchise. going to be his last home opener. Right. He's he's starting the home opener. I don't, I don't really give a shit that he gave up two goals that people didn't necessarily like the other day because he made some great saves, and the bigger concern for me is the defense. He um, kept him in the game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think Crawford will get the home opener. Leonard will get uh, the third game of the season, whenever that is. I don't. Not really sure. But uh, Crawford's getting the home opener. It's not. I don't even think it's a question. I think it's already been decided. I would. I would. I would hope so. I. <laughs> I wouldn't think that. I think out of respect to Crawford, you have to do that. You know. I mean. I know. There's. Yeah. You know, it's it's pro sports. There's no feelings, but I think Crawford's earned the right to play himself out of the net more than have somebody else play himself into it. That's a great um, point. Yeah. I also, mean, also, hey. Oh, sorry. Oh no, go on. Finish your thought. Um, I was just gonna say I stat checked, and it was 
Brett Pesci is a right-handed shot. It's Jacob Slavin that DeHaan played with. So I just wanted to... You have prospect pool. (laughs) I just wanted to tell you, yeah, you were right. It was Slavin that was the left shot that DeHaan played on his offhand with. Imagine being wrong. Couldn't be me. No, <laughs> um, no, I, uh, no, thank you for clearing that up. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I, I could have sworn he was a right-handed shot, but I, I honestly couldn't, I didn't know. Although Slavin is a guy I would love on this team, oh. but there's no way oh, Carolina would ever give him up. That would he, be... Is he captain? I'm pretty sure he's captain. Um, uh, Stahl is captain this yeah, year. Yeah, oh, okay, so he's an alternate captain, but still he's, he's, yep. he's on their hierarchy. But um. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I, I I have the feeling if Carlton did have the cojones to go out and fucking scratch Corey Crawford for his last home opener, um, if you scratch Corey Crawford for the last home opener, then you definitely have to sack up and scratch Brent Seabrook at some point. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. You're not. Yeah. Like like Clay said, he's he's playing himself out of the net before someone's playing their way in. Um. It's he he's earned it for what he's done for the team, for what he's done for the city. He's starting Thursday. I I don't he could have given up ten goals in fucking Prague the other day and he would have started for me uh Thursday night. So I don't to me it's not even it's a no brainer. I agree. And then the last question is for the man myth legend, um, soon to be a guest on this podcast one day, Adam Hess at underscore Adam Hess is um what are the Blackhawks going to get in exchange for Brandon Saad when they're out of it by Christmas and start the teardown? And the answer is the only viable one. Um, Artemi Panarin. Just come full circle. <laughs> just fucking do it. Just cat be damned. Uh, Make that son of a bitch work. That'd be fucking hilarious. I'd love that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that'd that, be something. That's my very non-serious answer just because I don't. To be honest, I don't really want to think about Brandon Saad getting traded again. It broke my heart the first time, and I love him a lot. Yeah, uh, okay, I'll take a shot at being somewhat serious. Um, I I don't. I guess my answer is I don't know <laughs> because a we're assuming that they're out of contention by Christmas, which I don't. I I'm sorry. I I'm I know I'm probably the most optimistic one here. I just don't see that being the case. Um, but I, he has value even at six million a year. That's a pretty good price tag, and I think there's. The season plus two more on the deal, I think, okay. if I remember correctly. Sure. It, um, it, it, he brings value. He's a he's a power forward in today's game. He's got explosive speed. He'll drive the net. He can help a lot of teams. But I, like, it's just such a tough question to answer because it's like, I I don't I don't see it even like I I, I never even considered Brandon Saab being traded. I guess, but I, I mean, I think you can get a nice prospect for him like a a top end prospect and decent pick maybe i mean i i I don't think that's unrealistic yeah it might be have to it might have to be one of those prospects that is kind of files under the needs change of scenery sort of thing like a nylander or strom but i I feel like i'd be up there with you but i mean like brandon sod's still young too like is if if things do go to shit by christmas like is brandon sod a guy you're looking to unload like to me that's still a guy that you're trying to somewhat build around i mean is that... i mean yeah it's not it's not like he's really all that expendable either i mean you just got to brink it on a hell of a deal a oh hell God. of a deal and we haven't even talked about that how the fuck did that happen i don't know but i mean it really doesn't <laughs> need to be it doesn't need to be really summed no, up in anything no, other than consensus he is, great deal oh my god he is awesome and i love that kid more he's than he's got a fire I his love agent Eric. absolutely not <laughs> 
keep them around. <laughs> <in the sky. laughs> like, like, give them, give them fucking like eight by seven for the next extension, please. God, just do it. <laughs> oh, that'd be so, that'd be so good and make my heart sing. I mean, other than that, Clay, do you have any thoughts on Brandon Saad? I do. I'm with you guys. I don't want to see him traded. I don't want to think about it. Brandon Saad, if nothing else, for his performance in 2015, has my heart. So, I, I in the playoffs, that is. I, I don't know. A, a realistic package, I, I think it's got to be, if we're talking picks, it's got to be, I would think, a first. I mean, Matt yeah. Duchesne got a first, second, if, and a third. I know he's a center, but... If Ryan Harmon can fetch a first rounder, Brandon Saad can fetch a fucking first rounder. Right. Pick. Now, Especially prospect... Yeah, yes. absolutely. Now, prospect-wise, I you know, it, it depends on what, you know, obviously what position you're looking for, but, you know, I, I would think it's got to be, I would say a first-round pick plus a, I, I would, a pretty decent prospect. I mean, it obviously depends on what team you're coming from, but... You know, a former former late first, early second round pick with high potential would be plus a first round. I mean, he scored twenty four goals last year. It's not like he was. Yeah, he flew under the radar. Garbage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. People are just. I think people. I think the perception of him has changed just a little bit because they traded Panarin for him, and then his first season back didn't go so hot. Brandon Sod's a valuable player. Brandon Sod's a player you want. On a winning team, Brandon Sod's a player you need on a winning team, quite frankly. So, I, to me, even if you're, I, I, I want Brandon Sod on this team for, for, for the rest of his career. Quite honestly, his stats aren't well, all that inflated either because he's never going to be an assist guy. Right? No. Nope. Well, here, here's the thing: if you're in the playoffs, you have to have not one Brandon Sod, but probably two or three on your team to have a shot. Oh, hundred percent. I mean. Our last successful playoff season, Patrick Sharp, two-way forward. Hosa, Slovakian god. Oh, Brandon Saad, two-way forward. I mean, those three were our bit. You know, they're all over six foot. They all play an extreme power forward, two-way game. Sharpie, a little bit more of a east-west can shoot, but he played the two-way game. He wasn't a pushover. Well, to I your mean, point. You need those three. To your point, we do have Brandon Saad, like you said, but also if Doc and Kubala can evolve into what they want them to be, I mean, there's three right there. Yeah, bingo. Exactly. Okay, at least we're on the same page there. You guys got any final thoughts? Um, a quick question. I I know the first game sucked, but like I I saw a lot of people writing articles and kind of freaking out, like, "Holy shit, this is the same team last year!" Like. Is that something that even crossed your guys' mind? Like, yeah, it was a bad first game. I expected more, but like, I'm still excited about the outlook of this team going forward. Like, it didn't really change much for me. I'm still excited, but I will say I'm frightened to hell that a lot of of the problems from last year have lingered over into this year. If that makes sense, that's fair. I I guess I just need more than a one game sample size. But yeah, I mean, that I would agree with. But like, I'm still like I'm still excited about this team. I still, for the most part, like the roster. You know aside from the defense that we've talked about so much, but like I saw a lot of like panic and I think a little bit of overreaction after they lost the opening game. And I just like chill out a little bit. Like I'm, I still like this team a lot. I agree. I think 
reading some of those article, articles from the beat reporter, hell, you'd think they were covering the Toronto Maple Leafs or something. I mean, good <laughs> grief. But I yeah, think... Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, anybody who came into this season expecting a cup contender was going in blind. I mean, let's just be right. real. Yeah. I My prediction was they flirt with the three seed or a wild card. I mean, that's what I project. If they went around, great. I could see them, you know, upsetting a team in the in the first round. But I, I don't expect a Western Conference Finals. I mean, right. If we yeah. get into the playoffs, get the kids some some playoff experience. I'm exactly. happy. So, so no. I'm now. I will say I am like you. I'm kind of petrified that with what I saw that that's not great. But it's game one on horrible ice. I, I just, I, yeah, the overreaction was a bit overkill. And I mean, yeah, like I said, it, it felt like I was in Toronto. <laughs> I like that. I think we can end on that note too. So uh, for everybody, I am Daniel at Debrinket underscore Haver and Tommy at underscore 88 Showtime and Clay Swallow at CB Swallow underscore 52. I think I got that right. Um, this has been the one for the dagger podcast and you all have a good rest of your day night whatever time you're listening to this and go hawks